Uh, this morning, uh, as part of our reflection on Christmas, I wanted to talk briefly about Simeon's consolation. Simeon's consolation. I wonder where... Well, consolation's not a word. We use all these words at Christmas that we don't normally use. You know, Gloria in excelsis Deo. When else do we talk in Latin? Um, <laughs> or Noel. But in this uh, passage that we just read, we heard of Simeon's consolation. Does anybody know what, uh, what consolation is? I'll give the kids first, first call. Uh, okay. Laura just asked what consolation means. Anybody else have a crack? All right. I'll open it up to uh, all the adults. What do you reckon? Like another prize? All right, yes. It's often used in that way, but that's not quite what the, the fullness of it is, yeah. Um, yep, getting closer, getting warmer. That's, that's, that's almost right on the nail on the head, uh, which is a, is a comforting, is a, it's a... It's a, it's a refreshment after, um, after, usually after a hard time. <laughs> yeah. So the reason why they call it a consolation prize is because it's a comfort. Even though you didn't win the main prize, you, uh, you were still comforted by having won something. But in this case, we're not talking about second best. We're talking about the best. If we just go back to the, and recover some of the passage that I just read, in verse 25, it says there was this man in Jerusalem called Simeon, man who was uh, righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He was a man who was waiting for the comfort, for the refreshment of his people. Why? Well, uh, if you had the opportunity to hear what we were talking about yesterday, Israel at, at many times had been in very dark places. They had had a very rough history. But it, that shouldn't be the case because Israel, remember we're not talking about the, the current uh, state in Palestine today, that it's called Israel. We're talking about the ancient people of Israel over 2,000 years ago. They were a people who were chosen by God to be the ones who entered into a special relationship with God, a special covenant, they called it. And, but they weren't faithful in their covenant. They didn't follow through with what God called them to do. They were not obedient. They didn't give God the proper honor and glory that he was due. There was times where things were good. There were times where things went really smoothly. But there was a cycle of them turning against God. And it got to the point where God had to bring a great judgment on them. And he sent the people out into exile. But the people still hoped because God promised that he would deliver. He would bring them, he would bring them something. He would bring them a consolation. He would bring them, he'd bring them something greater and better. They would look back to their glory days, like the days under King David where everything seemed to be great. And they were hoped that they could have something like that again. And that's what Simeon is looking forward to. And so he's coming up to the temple in Jerusalem when there was a temple there, somewhere near where the Temple Mount is today. 
where the Dome of the Rock is. But when there was a temple standing there for the, for the Jews to worship God, Simeon would come up there to worship God, and he'd come up there on that day in the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit guiding him up to the temple. But he knew that he would not see death because the Holy Spirit, because God had told him somehow that he would get to see that consolation coming to Israel. He came into the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him, that is Jesus, up in his arms and blessed God. He blessed God, and what did he say? He said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Isn't this interesting? He's been waiting for the consolation of Israel, and he sees a baby. He sees a baby in the arms of two ordinary people from a place called Galilee, not the, uh, not the most fancy place in the world, a bit of a backwater. And they come into the temple just doing the regular customs that parents would do under the Old Testament law for bringing their baby. And this man, Simeon, took up the, that child and said, my eyes have seen God's salvation when he's looking at an infant. He knew, he was prophesying, he knew what was to come, that God had prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to your people Israel. He saw what was coming, this consolation for his people, this comfort, this refreshment. But it wasn't just for the people of Israel. Now God's people were going to be called from all the tribes of the world. So the, that's a word that we don't often use, is Gentiles. Gentiles just basically means non-Jewish people. Everybody who was not Jewish or, or Israel, an Israelite. Here, Simeon sees that God's salvation is not just for the people under the Old Testament covenant. This is a salvation that is coming to anybody who would come to God. Anybody who would come to God. So how is that going to come to pass? How is this baby going to bring salvation to all people who are not Jewish and to the Jews themselves? Well, Jesus was their expected Christ, the Messiah. Christ and Messiah are interchangeable words. This was the expected Messiah, this baby. But this baby didn't stay a baby in a manger. At this time of year, we, we, we talk about the baby in a manger. We have the nativity scene and we go, oh, isn't that, isn't that cute? Isn't that lovely with the, with the baby all wrapped up in a swaddling cloth? And we sing songs like Silent Night um, or uh, uh, in a way, I think in a way in a manger, they make this furious claim that no crying he makes. Um, <laughs> we, we have this idealized view of what... Um, of, of what this baby is and, and this, this romantic view of this little scene. But that was just a passing, fleeting moment in God's plan for salvation. And it's good for us to remember God came in the flesh in Jesus Christ, but he went on to do more than that. And I, he went on to do three big things. He went on to defeat Satan. Well, hang on. I've got some, uh, I've got some alliteration. He went on to um, slay Satan and to slay sin and to defeat death. That, that child, that baby born, would go on to slay Satan, slay sin, and defeat death. These are the three big 
enemies of God's people, of anybody who would want to come to God. Satan stands in the way. And if you don't believe Satan exists, well, um, you're helping him because he, he doesn't want people to think he exists. <laughs> he wants people to either be scared of him or uh, to think that he doesn't exist, in which case um, you're helping him out. So Satan is an adversary to, pe- to the people that God has made. He wants to deceive them. He started deceiving from the beginning in the Garden of Eden. He wants to deceive God's people and turn them aside. And he even tried to deceive Jesus. And Jesus combat, came back to him and gave, he answered uh, Satan with the word of God. And then Satan tried with the Christ to use God's word against him. But Satan stood the test, withstood the test on that day, and eventually in his death defeated Satan. And in his death he also slayed sin. Sin is a problem for every single person on the world. Uh, sometimes uh, people have this idea of, oh, the, the Christians, the holier than thou's. No, Christians are people who recognize that we are not holier than anybody else and that we need to be made holy by Jesus. The only way that we can be holy is in Jesus. We're all sinners. We all need our sin dealt with. And I know sin's not a word that we use very much, but it's an important word for us to get our heads around. Sin is, um, sin is all those things, all the, the wrong things we have done, the tiniest little wrong thing that we have done. When you have been unjustifiably angry with somebody, when you have stolen something, when you have thought that you wanted to hurt somebody, even the thoughts of our mind can be sin. But Jesus came to do away with sin. And he came to defeat death because the wages of sin is death. That's why death was brought into the world. And now death is a natural progression for life because the world has been cursed with sin. But Jesus came to overcome death. So he went to the cross. And going to that cross, he subverted Satan. Satan thought that he was going to win by, by, by killing Jesus. But it was actually part of the plan. It was part of his plan. In, in some cases, you might say it's a bit of a secret mission, right, to subvert Satan because he thought he was going to win by taking out Jesus. But in killing Jesus, he did the very thing that Jesus came to do. He killed Jesus, and in doing so, Jesus made atonement for our sin with his life. We should have died in that place. We should have suffered in his place, and we should experience an everlasting uh, death but because Jesus died in our place, he made a sacrifice. It's like, it's like paying off a debt. We've got this sin debt to God because of our sin. The only way that debt can be taken away is with you know, a fair payment for the debt. And our lives are required in payment for that debt. But Jesus, the perfect man, who is God himself and eternal, was able to use his, so to speak, his, his eternal immeasurable worth and his immeasurable righteousness to pay off our debt. And he gives us his righteousness if we come to him in faith. And he defeated death after he died on that cross. That, that babe rose, uh, lived a, a life of about 33 years, lived a perfect life, and went to that cross, died that death. But three days later, he rose again from the dead. He rose again from the dead. He defeated death. He disarmed death. And so now death holds no, uh, no strength, holds no sway over Christians because Jesus has defeated death and he said, I will raise up from the dead anybody else who believes and trusts in me. 
And so even though we will experience a, a often, many, or many of us will experience a physical death, we have this promise from God that the one who rose from the dead and defeated Satan, who slayed sin, he will rise all of his people in the, in the resurrection in the future. So what is Jesus doing right now? Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning, and preparing to return and bring to fruition all of the promises that remain unfulfilled. He's fulfilled a bunch of promises, but he's coming again. He's coming again, and even now he rules and reigns. Even now he calls people to turn to him as the rightful king and God over the world. He is interceding for his people at the right hand of the Father, and he's preparing a place for his people so that he will come back. He will return for final judgment and restoration. We don't know when that will be, but we're told to be ready because he will come at a time when we least expect it. He's coming to bring judgment because God is just. He's coming to bring judgment for all of those who are outside the sacrifice of Jesus Christ because in the sacrifice, judgment and justice is done. But if you would decide, if you like, no, nah, I don't want Jesus to take to deal with my sin for me, I want to stand before God on my own terms, then you can do that. But God's judgment is pure, purely just. And none of us can stand before him. So escape through Jesus Christ. Find your consolation in Jesus Christ. There is refreshment. I wonder if the, if the, if the idea of the return of Christ is a consolation to you or whether it is a terror and a hope that maybe it won't happen is the coming of christ as a babe in bethlehem 2000 and something years ago is that a refreshment to you on this christmas day is it a comfort to you is it a joy or is it a historical irrelevancy i hope that you can receive this christ child not just as a child but as a savior and that he would be your consolation